Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's house. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. You've heard me say I have one message and it's 5,000 years long, so buckle up. I'm going to try to get you out of here in a reasonable amount of time, but we're at the beginning of the reading of the Torah, so I was all set to do break down the first sentence, which I will do a little bit for you, because some of you have not heard that, break down the first sentence of the, of the word and then go into something. Then God started surfacing. See, the Torah portion that's read this week is Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 6-8. So it includes the days of Noah. And since Jesus said, the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, I thought we should look into that tonight. So we like to give you updates on what's going on. Some of you participated with us at MK Hop to send a generous offering to Iran. I want to thank you for that because you're sending Bibles, you're preaching the word into Iran, and you're helping strengthen those that are in the streets fighting for freedom. Now we support, first of all, we always support the living body, the church. And then beyond that, we also do social work that's going to help them with what they're facing right now. If God puts it on your heart, just please pray for the people of Iran. Uh, God's got a special purpose and a future for them, and uh, it's being thwarted right now. It's being surfaced, but they believe they're the fastest-growing church in the world, faster than China, faster than India. So we want to stand with them. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, this week, we also uh, heard from, just today, yesterday, you know, 10-hour difference, uh, Israel sent me a picture of some of our people from here that were on Mount Carmel with our mentors, our friends in the Lord that are ministering on Mount Carmel above Haifa. And uh, there they were, the intercessors from Silicon Valley that have found Beit Abba and are coming and interacting with us. They are currently on Mount Carmel praying for Israel, for the United States, for California, and for world revival. Amen? Amen. So you're part of that. You need to see that you're part of that. My wife reminded me that I want to thank you She has the heart. Thank you for coming out to worship the Lord together. Thank you for taking time out of your week, out of your life, to come and to lift up the King of Kings. You know, he's smiling. He's smiling on us tonight. Uh, so I also like to stay in touch with those that have kind of coming and going. We have like a hot and cold running Beit Abbas that go from here to and from Israel. So I'm going to ask Mike to come and give us a kind of a, he's been in Israel for six months or so. I don't know how long. It's maybe three weeks. Grab a mic. About three weeks, four weeks. One month, I just got back this morning at 6, 6 in the morning, fresh off the press from Israel. Um, I've literally been over there for a month. I've walked from the furthest western part of Israel to the eastern part, to Mount Hermon, all the way down to Elat, in the footsteps of Abraham and the children of Israel. And it was, it was it's, it's a rocky country. <laughs> I got blisters on my little toes. It was an amazing time. Um, when the children walked into the land of Israel, they were told, wherever you put the soles of your feet, wherever you put your soles of your feet, and there were towns throughout Israel that they would put border rock walls around in the shape of a footprint, and they would claim, and wherever they put their foot, they would tread, 
And when you would tread on something, you take possession of it. And when Jesus comes back on Mount, uh, the, uh, uh, Mount of Olives, guess what he's going to do? He's going to plant his foot. He's going to tread and take possession of his house. Um, to highlight many things, I, I'm just going to pick one. I was, there was many things that, that were over there. It was just an amazing time. The Lord invited me back to his house. Um, like Miles says, you know, read the Parsha, the weekly Parsha. You know, we think we're reading the, the Word of God, but the Word of God is really reading us. Let me think about that. So I was in the house of the Lord for one month, and I was able to go to this place called the uh, Temple Mount Sifting Project, where the Muslims on the Temple Mount years ago would excavate it, a bunch of dirt out of Temple Mount, which was totally illegal, and they would dump it in the Kidron Valley. <clears throat> well, there were certain people that said, well, let's, well, let's see what's in the soil, and they found all this evidence that there was a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount going back to Solomon. <clears throat> so I was there sifting. I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't, you know, Indiana Jones or anything. <laughs> I was up there, it was, it was called the wet sifting, you get a bucket of dirt that they got from this area that they dumped off the Temple Mount from the Kidron Valley. So you're there, you dump it in and you hose it down and you're sifting through there. And, you know, I did one bucket, didn't find anything. I mean, you find pottery shards and everything. But then this one part, I was looking and this girl that was with me, she actually found it, but she, she, we had the credit together. And she's all, oh, I see something. What do you see? I'm like, I, I just see rocks. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what I'm looking at. She's like, no, no, look at this. Look at this. That's a coin. I'm like, it is? She's all, yeah. So she called one of the head guys who was in charge of that area. He looked around. He's like, that's a Maccabean coin. And I said, really? You just give me the tourist lingo here? <laughs> you found a Maccabean coin. But he did. He showed me one that they cleaned, and, and it was a small. I thought it was like a widow's mite. And I'm like, because this thing was small. So the next bucket I did, I was sifting around, and there was something a little different. And I said, this looks a little different. She's like, ooh, that's something. It was an ancient Roman iron arrowhead. So to find a Magabean coin and a Roman ancient arrowhead... Uh, that's, I don't know if it's rare, but I mean, yes. the Lord was able to help me find that. And I was glad to be part of that. And it was just many other experiences I had. And I can go on if you, you want to know more. Yeah. We'll have coffee. You, that people go to Israel? <laughs> you know what? If God's tugging on your heart, God will speak to you. God's always speaking to us. Yes. Are we always listening to him? Yes. Yes. If he's tugging on your heart, if he's speaking to you to visit his house, and his land is his house. He's got many rooms. I, I highly recommend going with Miles or Catherine, or if you feel to go on your own like I did, I would go for it. Because um, God will speak to you in many ways over there, in, in many forms and fashions, and you'll meet people throughout the land. And if you can't go, if your spirit and your heart is there, he'll count it just like you were there. Come on. Good. God's good. God's Amen. great. Thank you. All right. Amen. Thank Mike. So I was, I asked him in the lobby, you know, what are you going to give us a highlight? And he told me about the coin. And I thought, oh, I've got a great coin story, but I don't want to steal his thunder. So I'll wait. 
And then I was wrestling with it during worship because I didn't want to kind of like top him. But then God said, somebody needs to hear this. So I will tell you that years ago, we were at the sifting project. And just like this, Mike said, um, and there was a young man on our tour at the time. At that, at that time, we were doing three tours a year. This was a summer tour. And there was a young man who had drifted far from the Lord. Now, I was kind of scoping him out, but I didn't know him at all, just kind of the first couple of days, few days. And then I happened to preach somewhere about the lost coin and how God will find the lost coin. And we went to the Temple Mount project, and we're sifting through it, and this young man who was far from God found a Maccabean coin. And God showed him that even though he had drifted from God, God had never left him. And the reason why I'm telling you that tonight is because somebody here, in fact, if you're praying for a young one, if you're praying for a prodigal, if you're praying for someone that has drifted away, but you know they need to come back to the Lord, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up. Be bold. You're praying for a loved one who you know needs a fresh revelation of the Lord. Father, I thank you. God, we agree. You said wherever two or more agree on anything touching heaven and earth, you're there. And God, tonight we agree. We agree that this one, go ahead and call him by name. This one is going to come home to you, God. We set in motion the arrow, just like that arrowhead. And we set that arrow out. The arrow of deliverance is going into the heart of this person and bringing that lost coin back to the father's house. God, tonight we agree together that these prodigals will come home in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You should probably take a moment this week to continue that prayer. You know, I don't know about you, but we have some ones that we pray for every day. You want to keep that before the Lord. Go ahead and pester God. Hey, God, it's me again. Remember so-and-so? Okay, so this is called In the Beginning, and we're going to go through quite a bit of scripture. Um, The translation in the King James that we have in our English is not really accurate. Really, the first word in the Bible is Bereshit. Try that, Bereshit. And it really means beginnings. We have it as Genesis, and then we have the English as in the beginning. So it doesn't work out so well in the English, but in the Hebrew, it is seven words that make up the first sentence, which is kind of nice, and seven is the number of perfection. And the first word is Bereshit. It looks like this in Hebrew. You see that? Now we're going to read from this way to that way, right? Let me see if I can get the whole look at that. Ta-da. And this is what it looks like. Let's try this together. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. You're very quiet. Let's try that again. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you notice this too, this et and et, if you believe in a 6,000-year-old earth, I'm not going to argue with you, just like I don't argue about Samoans, about where the ends of the earth are. I'm not going to argue with you. But it is interesting that the fourth one, from the beginning to the fourth thousand years or fourth day, would be the first appearance of Jesus. And the sixth would be the beginning of the seventh when he will return for a thousand-year reign. And that et, you see that et? In Hebrew, that is Aleph Tav, which is where we get Alpha and Omega. So check this out. 4,000 years in, the Alpha and the Omega came, and 3,000 years later, 2,000 plus, the beginning of the millennium, he's coming again. 
the Alpha and the Omega, Aharon v'Harishon, the beginning and the end. He's coming. He came and he's coming again. What we're going to talk about tonight is the second coming. Because Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. Now, before we get past that, uh, can you go to the next one? Go to the the slide that has a... I've been clicking this. Sorry, I'm in the middle of the message here. Wow. Okay. This is what, in the, I love this. During the middle of COVID, we were able to go to Dubai, which is the wild, wild east. No tests, no nothing. You just go, go in and out of the country there, in and out of Armenia. We met with the Chinese underground church leaders. Then we met with the Iranian church leaders, next generation worshipers. And the Chinese, I thought, how am I going to teach these guys? How am I going to talk to these guys? They're, they're, like, they're like heroes. You know, they, they get the call. They leave China. They go into Sudan, Somalia, North Korea, Iraq, Iran. What am I going to talk to them about? And I remembered that they have a pictorial language. So I thought, well, we'll I'll talk in pictures. You know, I could do that. So the pictures of that first word, Bereshit, are these. The first is bet. It means house or tent. It's also the first letter of the word ben or son. And if you go to the second letter, it's resh. It means the first person, the man's head. The pictograph in the first is a tent. The second, this is ancient Hebrew. The second is a man's head. The third is aleph or God himself. It means the head, the first, the, the big God. It's an ox head. The, the next one is shin, which means it looks like teeth, and it is teeth. Next is the yod, or the, it means a hand. And finally, the last one is the tav, or a, a covenant mark, or a cross. You see that in Ezekiel. Ezekiel had the tav put on him, had the mark of the covenant on him. I know it sounds a little bit flexible. Just stick with me for a second. What this says, think of it this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at, do you remember when, in Matthew 16, do you remember Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And, and, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Simon, bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Bar and Ben are the same. They are son of. So I'm Mordechai ben Pinchas. I could be Mordechai ben, bar, both same. So the first two letters have the son, bar, the bait and the rish. If you keep going through it, my wife's giving me that Marin County look. Are you with me? Okay. So here's what this says. The one who created the house, the first person of the house is the Son. In concert with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created the house. In the beginning was the Word. The Word created the house with God the Father, and he was consumed or destroyed by his own hand on the cross. The gospel is in the first Hebrew word of the Bible. The entire gospel of Yeshua, of Jesus is in the first word. Uh, God's going to continue to reveal these things to us as we go forward in this time we're in. So the question comes in the beginning, like, what are we doing here? You know, who am I? Is there there a meaning to my life? Is there, why am I here? Where am I going when I die? Those are the questions that everyone on planet Earth is asking if they have a moment to look at life. And... There's only really two answers. Either this is a totally random, random circumstance of events, and somehow in the millions and billions of years of, create, of, of existence, 
these molecules came together and formed this little Hebrew that stands before you. Or we are living souls inhabiting a body and we have an eternal destiny and we're created by a creator who has a grand design in mind and created you on purpose. Now, you'd have to, be a, you'd have, to have a lot of faith to be an atheist because it's so random, it's so impossible. But it is very possible that you are here on purpose. You are here for this time. You were born not 400 years ago. You were born right now. And you got a good calling, you know. I'm going to tell you tonight, the days of Noah, I'm going to tell you some good news and some bad news. And some good news. So I was going to ask you which you wanted first, but then I decided, now I'll just do it the way I want, which is good news, bad news, good news, okay? So if you look at the first five books of Moses, you see the gospel in that first word, and you realize that Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's what we're in right now. We're just starting it. Exodus is about the birth of a nation, the nation of Israel. Leviticus is the law, the instructions, how to live with each other, how to not drive each other off the edge, how to separate from the pagan world and to live in relationship to a holy God so that we can thrive and I'm not silly. I understand that it's impossible to keep 613 commandments, which is why the law crowds us to Jesus, because we need the grace of God. In Numbers, we see the wilderness wanderings. We see how God works on us during our wilderness. Anybody in a wilderness, don't raise your hand. If you've been in a wilderness, in fact, this 10-year anniversary, some of us are going to be coming up and out and dancing, as one prophet told me, dancing into the future. I don't know what your last 10 years has been like. I'm sure it's been up and down. But God's going to have us thrust into this next season. You ready for that? Hey, if if you are here tonight, I want you to come on the 4th. I want you to help us celebrate. And I'd like you to bring somebody. I'd like, especially if you know someone that somehow along the way served in Beit Abba and has been part of this. And I reached out to some people that I didn't think were able to make it. And so far I haven't gotten them, but I'm not giving up on them. And I'm reaching out to people. And I think that we want to pack this house and really celebrate that God is doing something here that is way bigger than this. Way bigger than this. If you think about how this has become a prototype for other churches I didn't know that Gateway was doing this because we've always done this. Gateway does a Jewish ministry within a large Gentile, primarily church. I didn't know they were doing that because we started it before they did around the same time. I had no idea. But now I'm seeing what God wants to do is there are churches all around the world that he's starting to awaken to the connection to the Older Testament, to the Hebrew roots of the faith, and to do it in a way that does not make you dress up like Jews and pretend to go to synagogue, but celebrates the Gentile and the Jew together in a way that God is blessing and pleased by it. Right? That's happening. We want to see it happen all around the world. Thank God for the Jewish Studies program. If you're not aware of that, there's a Jewish Studies program at the Father's House. meets on Monday nights three times a year, three sections a year. And it is a foundational work in all these messages you get here once a month or twice a month. It's, it goes all really deep into all of it. And I highly recommend it. And we're going to export that. God wants to export that to every church. And then finally, Deuteronomy. <laughs> well, that's the five books of Moses. I'm back. Deuteronomy, where the laws are reviewed and Moses goes over, you know, what, what he's expecting. And also... It's where he calls Messiah. Because in Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses says to the people, God will raise a prophet from among you like me. Hear him. In other words, the savior of the world is going to be a Jewish 
Messiah, like me, only higher than me, Moses. And when he comes, don't miss him. Now, for your sakes, we missed him. By and large, national Israel missed him. But remember Romans 9 through 11. If our rejection has been the salvation of the world, what will our acceptance be but life from the dead? That's why you're here, because you know that you're touching something that has to do with life from the dead. It has something to do with resurrection life. This week, I was on a phone call with 100 tech people from a a business called Accenture. It's like one of the big four consulting firms. They have 700,000 employees. They have 2,300 Christians that meet online periodically, here and there, now and then. So I got 100 of them. And I was able to download the message of Israel, the church, and the coming king to them. Hallelujah. What happens when people in tech who are praying for the Zuckerbergs and praying for the the higher-ups and praying for many of whom are Jewish CEOs, what happens when they get this download about the Jewishness of the gospel and the connection between the church and Israel? What can happen? It's going to be life from the dead. Come on. Okay, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but this is so long, I'm trying to spare you. All right, so beginnings, and we enter into this book that is not a natural book. It's a supernatural book. 66 books written over a 2,000-year period by over 40 individuals that provides a cohesive narrative. It's impossible to produce an integrated message system like this with those circumstances. It's not possible. And it comes from outside time. That's why today the Bible speaks to you just like it did to Isaiah, just like it did to Moses, just like it did going back. Okay. The whole book... If you, if you go on our website, you'll see a, a One New Man DVD, which we did 10 years, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, long ago. I tabbed 40 pastors from 20 different backgrounds. And you'll hear one of the Israelis, born-again Israelis, say, how can you miss him? His face is on every page in there. It's so perfect because his face is on every page. You know, he's, he's in every book of the Bible. He's on every page. It's all pointing to him. And we see on the road to Emmaus, at the time of the resurrection, the two guys were walking with him. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but what Jesus said to them was, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to put your trust in all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? See, they knew Isaiah 53. They knew the man of, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. They knew the prophecies of Messiah, and he's confirming for them that you're living in it. You know That was a day to be living. This is even a better day to be living because this is the day the prophets long to look into, which is leading up to the return of the Lord. You get to be on it. So don't worry about the shaking that's going on. I'll tell you what, a whole lot of shaking's going on, and it's going to continue. That's why it's good news, and then it's bad news, and then it's good news. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scripture. 
throughout Moses and the prophets, throughout Bereshit, throughout the beginnings, throughout in the beginning Genesis, and going forward, he's in everything. So here's what I wanted to get to tonight, the days of Noah. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, 36. About that day, because they asked him, when are you coming back? What's going on here? Are you coming back, and what are you going to do? Are you going to set up a kingdom? What are we looking for? Come on, give us some clues. Give us some hints. What's going on here? What the heck is going on? That's a joke for my wife and I. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, when I read this 30, 40 years ago, I thought, okay, so it's going to be kind of, you know, business as usual, marrying and giving in marriage, you know, kind of life, regular life. It's not going to be like regular life. It's going to be like the days of Noah, which includes some very shaky changes that will be happening. Have you been shaken the last couple of years? Yeah, if you're not, you're, if you haven't been, you're asleep. Because we have been shaken, and it's just a rehearsal for shakings to come. But we have no fear. We need to have no fear because there's good news, bad news, and then good news. You know? And, and we, we have to be those that are an answer for people's fear. Right? We need to be plugged in in such a way that we can be a resource for people. I'm noticing in my counseling practice that it's getting less and less psychological, which has always been primarily spiritual, but it's getting more and more about depending on the Lord together, the therapist and the counselees, depending on the word of the Lord, depending on the presence of God, depending on and leaning into his anointing. Much, much more so. And i got to say, it's, it's kind of like going to Israel. The more you go, the more you realize the anointing on Israel is growing. The anointing on you is growing. The anointing on that word of counsel and that commiseration with weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, it's growing. It's getting stronger because the light is increasing as the darkness increases. So the days of Noah have to do with life as usual and we'll get to the end. To get to the end, you have to go back to Genesis 3.15. When the serpent by Satan is introduced into the story, God says to him, I will make enemies of you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, speaking to the darkness, speaking to the, anything that would house the spirit of Satan, would house that, would carry that forward. And of your offspring, your seed, and her descendants, her seed. Now, he shall bruise you on the head. That's the cross. He's be, he will... He will bruise you on the head. He crushed his head at the cross, and Satan bruised his heel. It cost. It cost Jesus at the cross. The victory was his, but it cost him, right? Hear that again. Of your offspring, your seed, I will make enemies. I will put enmity, the King James says, between your seed and her seed. I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. Well, woman doesn't have a seed, so that points us to the fact that Jesus is a virgin birth and the Messiah would come through a virgin. Okay, got that. Supernatural. This whole thing is supernatural. And God's putting us into an era where we're going to be seeing more and more supernatural intervention and supernatural touches, and we need to be ready for that. We cannot have just a rational Bible, just a logical Bible. We need to be open 
to the miraculous. We need to be open to the fact that he parted the sea and walked the Israelites through it. Hello, all throughout the scripture, he's a supernatural God who does miracle signs and wonders. We need to be open to that, amen? Your seed and her seed. So the Messiah will crush you. But if you notice in there, it says that serpent led by Satan or inhabited by Satan or driven by Satan has a seed. That means that there's an ongoing development of the works of darkness. Don't get scared. I promise you're going to get out of this alive. Now, so let's give you some good news. The good news is the symbols of Noah's day were the dove, the olive branch in the dove's mouth, and the rainbow, right? Turns out the rainbow actually belongs to God. Hello. Speaking of which, if you have not registered to vote, please vote. Your vote counts. We have got to believe that this country is salvageable. We have got to believe that we can turn this around. We have got to believe it is possible for biblical values to have a voice in this country. Right? So please, don't be ashamed. If you haven't registered to vote, please just register. Had a haircut today with a gal from Vietnam, and she, she in a certain part of town that is, doesn't vote the way I vote. And uh, I said, well, look, whatever they're telling you, just vote the opposite. <laughs> It's kind of like watching the news. Whatever they say, it's a lie. It's a lie. Okay. So the dove, the Holy Spirit, this is the days of Noah that we are in. A dove, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Noah sent out ravens. He was looking for land. He was towards the end of the story of on, the, on the ark, right? And so he, uh, he sent out, finally he sent out a dove. The dove comes back with an olive branch, meaning that there was land. There was land. There was land. God promised land to Abraham. So the olive tree, the olive branch, always is a symbol of Israel. So in the days of Noah that we are in, there's going to be a Holy Spirit renaissance that includes the understanding of Israel and the nations. The rainbow is the nations, every tongue and tribe, right? It's not owned by one disenfranchised group, the rainbow. The rainbow is every every tongue and tribe worshiping before the throne of God. It's very inclusive, every tongue and tribe. So one of the good news things about the days of Noah, the Holy Spirit is going to bring together Israel and the nations in the Spirit of God. And that's what you're doing. You're doing it. You are a living manifestation of the good news of the days of Noah. Now, there's more. Genesis 6, keep going with Noah. Now it came about when mankind began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with man forever. He is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The sons of God in the Old Testament is Ben Elohim. Try that, Ben Elohim. Remember Ben, Bar, son. Sons of God, Ben Elohim. Sons of God always refers to angelic beings. In the New Testament, in 1 John, you are called sons of God. Because in the New Testament, those that are born again of the Spirit of the Lord are the sons of God. Hallelujah. But in the Hebrew Scriptures, 
Ancient Hebrew scriptures is always referring to angelic beings, in this case, fallen angels. It says, goes on to say in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of mankind, and they bore children to them, <clears throat> those are the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Righteous man, in some translations, says perfect. Some translations says blameless. What it means is genetically sound. Why? Because this interaction, this hybrid, this transhumanism that was taking place between fallen angels, Nephilim, and the daughters of men polluted the genetic pool. That's why what we're in today with all this craziness about mutilating children is just a setup for something much darker and much bigger, which has to do with changing the genetic makeup of the children of God, you guys, children of men, the humanity, changing the makeup so that Satan can inhabit, the seed of Satan can inhabit something. I'm going to show you where it is in the Old Testament in a minute. You still with me? Don't get scared. Don't get freaked out. This is, you know, this ain't your Sunday morning service. I get it, you know, I get it. But I got to do what God tells me to do, right? Blameless, meaning genetically sound, perfect. He was a man's man. He was a God's man. He was a human being. And at the same time, there was this seed of Satan, of the serpent that was coming into humanity and created this hybrid race that included these giants. That's why when the Israelites got to the land, they said, whoa, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And, you know, when we were doing television, I interviewed Dennis Lindsay from Christ for the Nations. He wrote a book called Giants, Fallen Angels, and the Return of the Nephilim. And he's gone around the world and documented hieroglyphics and stone formations that are all about the reality that there were, in fact, these giants in, in, in the earth. We know it from David and Goliath. You know, I love Pastor Will on Sunday said this great thing about the five smooth stones, right? Worship, the word, warfare, fellowship. You know, it was like, wow, I got that. And then I was thinking, uh-oh, also, Goliath had four brothers. David had five stones. It goes back to my, my theory that we need to trust in God but tie our camel. Now, he, he was planning by God's grace to take Goliath out for a shot and end the war. But, you know, he had five stones because Goliath had four brothers. Just a thought. Anyway. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is where racism ends. Shem means name. Name is the name of the place, the land that gave birth to the promised people. Shem is the line through which Abraham came. That line that relates to the name led to Abraham, who became the father of faith so that you and I could know the Lord, right? Shem, the name, the name called Abraham, who then... He created Isaac and Jacob, which became Israel, which became David, which became Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? Ham is the Hebrew word for heat, for warmth. Ham went south. Shem was in the Middle East area, the kind of brownish people, like the Israelis and the Arabs, right? Shem, Middle Eastern looking, right? Ham is warm. It means warm. They went south. That's the darker-skinned people. They went south. It has nothing to do with qualifications or, or curses or any of the 
Sorry, any of the stuff you heard from pulpits over the years has to do with the names in Hebrew. Ham means warm, and they were living in the warm environments. Yafeth means fair. They're the light-skinned, the blondies, the Swedes, the Scandinavians, the ones that went north, the Germans, all those, the Norse people. They went there. So there's these, those, and them, okay? There's no racism in God, and there's no racism in God's real people. We're just one big happy family. <clears throat> You still here? Yes. Okay, me too. <laughs> okay. So the bad news is that that seed is at work in the earth. And it goes forward uh, we see it in Numbers 13:30. We can see this is a very clear picture. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will certainly prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people because they are too strong for us. So they brought a bad report of the land which they had spied out to the sons of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are people of great stature, we also saw the Nephilim there. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, we have evidence. We have Og up in the Golan area, Og of Bashan. Bashan means the bulls. If you read Psalm 2, if you read the, the battle between the, the spiritual and the, and the flesh, you'll see that these great bulls compassed me about. Psalm 22, sorry, Psalm 22. You'll see that that's about a demonic resistance that Yeshua was facing when he went to the cross that David saw by vision when he wrote the Psalms. There's demonic forces that are inhabiting the land. That's why you've been hearing me say for a long time now, this country is not about left or right or red or blue. This country is about good and evil. And we have an opportunity to get the good back in the seat of power. We can try. We have to try. I'm reading a book by Eric Metaxas called A Letter to the American Church. I recommend it. Uh, he's like a, he wrote the seminal book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, if you don't know, was a pastor who stood up to Hitler and was assassinated for it. He was martyred. But he wrote a treatise about the weakness of the church in the face of evil. A letter to the American church is Eric's small version of the same message, which is, hey, wake up. Wake up. Pray. Vote. We are, you know, the new normal is not slappy, happy, clappy church. I'm telling you, folks. We've been there, done that. We're in a season of warfare. That doesn't mean we don't have the joy of the Lord. We don't enjoy Sunday service and thrilled before God and love the good word that comes forward. It's all good. But we have moved into a new season where the country is being weighed in the balances. If it's not too late, which I don't believe it is. It's not too late. Why don't you say that? It's not too late. It's not too late. Just saw Bill Murray in Meatballs. Sorry. That's how you know you're old. Okay, Genesis 11. We're getting there. I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. Genesis 11. Now, all the earth used the same language. Hello? 
All the earth used the same language. Huh, hmm, hmm. All the earth was connected by a certain language. All the earth was able to speak to each other by a certain language. All the other was connected in a way that had not been connected before. This is Genesis 11. This is not far after Noah. And the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over all the face of the earth. So check this out. You know the Greek word hubris has to do with the pride of man, has to do with the idea of going back to to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, the idea that Satan said, I will be like the most high. When we have that attitude that we don't need God, that we're a random, random collection of cells that developed over centuries, over centuries and millennia, and we're not souls created by, the God, by God, the one true God, that have an eternity that is temporarily housed in this flesh. If we have the wrong worldview, then we can say things like, come, let's build a tower. Let's build an internet. Let's build a system that can be run by ourselves. A few of us that have really got it going on. World Economic Forum. Noah Harari, you know, do your own research. It's happening, folks. It's happening. And, and this last two years was kind of a test run for us. We did not pass that well. Thank God there were people who stood up and said, no. No, 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 no. This is something bigger than what we're looking at right now. This is not just about a, a, a chest cold, even a deadly chest cold. This is something else. And they were right. I remember hearing one preacher say, coming up on the inauguration of this new president, this last president, said, I think January 21st we should have a national apologize to a conspiracy theorist person. Make that a national holiday, folks. We're in spiritual warfare. It's all good. You've been chosen for this because God knows you can fight. He knows that you're, you're up for the battle. You are the Caleb. You are the Joshua. That's who you are. You would not be born in this season if you were not Joshua and Caleb. He knows what he's doing. Let us build a tower. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They all have the same language, and this is what they have started to do, and now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us go down there, confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. They stopped building the city. Therefore, it was named Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Now, I think we're seeing this. I think we're seeing the exposure of this tower building that's been going on. I think we're seeing the exposure of the corruption that's in it, the humanity, the darkened seed of Satan, humanity that's in it. Can I say this out loud? We'll have to probably kill this message, brother, but here you go. We're seeing it unfold. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. We are seeing it unfold. And you are chosen to withstand it. With your vote, with your mouth. Don't take that, take that mask off and speak. With your mouth, with your prayers, with your intercession, with your love for your fellow man. 
You know, this is, this is an awesome time. Because there were angels that did not keep their place. And they went against God and they took this heavenly body that they had and they incorporated it into a corporal body by having interaction with the daughters of men. Do you see? Jude says it this way. Angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he has kept in eternal restraints under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And there's a whole other teaching in that about what's going to happen to these Rephaim and the Nephilim. Peter said it this way. If God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness held for judgment. So what's happening? I'm going to tell you some facts that are going to blow your mind. I'm going to tell you when they were spoken. This conglomerate, this cabal, are working, have been working on super soldiers with ultimate kinds of weapons, things that we've never imagined. Some of you military guys know a lot more about this than I do, but a, a, a rifle that can shoot a mile with a brain in it, in the bullet, so that it goes over a wall and explodes on the person. Is this surprising to some of you? Or you know about it. Networking of leaders, certain select elite leaders with unlimited mind control with each other. Unenforced lawlessness among a privileged few. Have you noticed? Not for me, but for thee. Have you been watching that? You can go all the way back to Nancy Pelosi's hairdo. I mean, come on, folks. What's good for me and not for thee? You know, hello, right? We're in a class system. It's not racial. It's a caste system. It's a class system. And we are the deplorables, regular people, middle-class people. (laughs) Consciousness exchanges. They're talking about consciousness exchanges where you, you know, you saw the Matrix? Everybody saw the Matrix? Okay, well, listen up, Copper Top. That phone you hold in your hand, that's the first step in being completely plugged in and connected to the big battery in the sky. Do you ever notice your phone talking to you or thinking ahead of you? Have you noticed that? I asked a guy who was a Navy SEAL. She's worried now. I asked a friend of mine who was a retired Navy SEAL. He said, Miles, we only talk, his, he and his friends, this group of patriots, he said, we only talk to each other on lead line things. We've been doing that for 30 years, 40 years. As soon as you bought an iPhone, they were tracking you. You know, he said, there's, there's, there's no, you know, there's no getting around it. Okay. And collective consciousness changing reality. That's why these guys from the World Economic Forum, they say that, you know, we may be the, I heard Jared Kushner say it the other day, we may be the first generation that lives forever. Why? Because we can upload our consciousness to the cloud and keep going. No. Right, no. No, I want to die and then the judgment. I want to live a human life. And I want to, I'm glad that he can replace my knees. I'm glad they can give me parts here and there. That's great. That's great. But I do not want a false immortality. Hello? The only immortality we want is the immortality that comes from submission to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who gives us eternal life. And if you're here tonight and you don't know him, in spite of this message, I want to encourage you to get to know Jesus because he's, he's good. <laughs> okay, so this, again, I'm going to finish this one thought. Nanotechnologies, hey, we just went through two years of being nanoed. Okay, nano, nano. Molecule-sized machines that can be placed inside of bodies. Robotics, self-modifying sentient machines. Genetics, self-replication of manipulated entities 
directable diseases targeting specific groups or individuals. Hello, did you see the last James Bond movie? The last ja- I'm a big movie guy. So the last James Bond movie, they, they, they got your DNA and they could manipulate it and target you through that DNA. <laughs> I still want you to come back on the fourth. It's going to be a lot lighter and a lot more fun. And then artificial, artificial intelligence exceeding the human mind. Even Elon Musk said AI is a demonic force. There's something going to happen with that that, is inclu- that has to do with the seed of the serpent. All right. Now, you may think, wow, he's really up on the news. This is like stuff that's happening right now. Those information I just gave you was preached 10 years ago. If that was preached 10 years ago by a genius preacher, where are we now? It's not like any of this was backed off. So we're, we're way, way down the road in this stuff. <clears throat> now, here's the good news. We're going to get to the good news now. One thing that really caught my attention in studying all this stuff was that Maimonides, who's a revered rabbi from the 12th century, he's like one of the famous rabbis that all the Jewish people look to. He said in the 12th century, which is being verified by science now, that we are aware of four dimensions. You know, height, breadth, length, and time. But that there are actually ten dimensions and we are not aware of the other six. In the 12th century, so get this, a man of God understood something that physicists are now verifying in the 21st century. They're verifying the fact that yes, there are these dimensions, which is why as this push comes for us to be looking for aliens and watch the, watch the Vatican, looking for aliens, it's interdimensional. It is not hardware, it's software. It's got to do with angelic manifestation. All right, now you look terrified. Okay, here we go. Here's what God says. Here's the good news. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Man can come. We're out of here. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient time to what is yet to come, my purpose will stand and will accomplish all that I please. Amen. In Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding. It's the fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, (coughs) but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Don't worry about any marks of beasts or any of that. His name will be on your forehead. That tov that is on the cross in the first word of the Bible that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 34, that's on you. That cross is on your forehead. That cross is marked you. You are marked by God for eternity with him. No night will be anymore. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So uh, Catherine's got a word, but I wanted to tell you, I, was, I felt like there was one verse missing, but I didn't know what it was. And I saw we were kind of cleaning up our house, and Catherine pulled out this stack of old promise scriptures we used to have in the 80s. This is the one that I saw. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the 
present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything at all in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's from the randomness of God this afternoon to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.